Good morning. It's good to be here, to be back again, um, and in this gorgeous chapel. This is my first time to be uh, speaking here, so it's such a privilege for me. Some of you probably are aware that uh, there was a, uh, an international conference held at the University of uh, Toronto a few days ago, last week, in fact, and I've had the privilege of attending that. It's a Henry Nouwen international event in conjunction with um, his uh, 20th uh, death anniversary. So it's kind of neatly coinciding with uh, my uh, opportunity to teach here this week. So I have mandated my students um, to attend this chapel because in the interest of full disclosure, what I'm actually going to be presenting to you briefly would be uh, an introduction to a... uh, a topic, a lecture that I will be presenting this afternoon. So that's my way of dropping hints to my students that I will quiz them in uh, for this. But um, I want to title my presentation uh, Mystery, Tension, and Polarities, the Spiritual Nexus of Henry Nouwen's Journey. I really do believe that uh, Henry Nouwen regarded or reckoned our spiritual journey, the reality of our spiritual journey, as one wherein we are led into mystery by mystery itself. Although if we're honest enough to admit it, we probably are obsessing about how we can destroy any semblance of mystery in life so that we can uh, remain in charge and in control of our lives, but such is reality. We are surrounded by mystery. Richard Rohr, one of my uh, favorite Franciscan writers, put it this way, if indeed the great mystery is the great mystery, it will lead us into paradox, into darkness, and to journeys that never cease. You've probably uh, seen this or heard this uh, again and again, but it still rings true. Life is not a problem to be solved, but rather a mystery to be lived out. And when you think about mystery, it always, invariably, it always breeds tension. Um, Parker Palmer, a well-known educator and actually a personal friend of Henry Nouwen, says these words, contradiction, paradox, the tension of the opposites, these have always been at the heart of my experience, and I think I'm not alone. I can resonate with that, and I hope you do too. Um, Suffice it to say that In Henry Nouwen, he really embraced the reality of a tension-filled life. Ours is a life of tension. I want to talk about, you know, as I always tell my students, Henry Nouwen has this flair for organizing his thoughts in three points. So I'm going to walk you through three uh, key dynamics of tension that you find virtually in all of Henry Nouwen's writings. The first one is a very familiar one. It's called a paradox. 
And by simple definition, a paradox constitutes self-contradictory or absurd statement. When you first hear a paradox, it just doesn't make sense to us. But here's an example of a paradoxical statement, which is taken out of a, a book by Ernest uh, Kurtz and Catherine Ketchum entitled The Spirituality of Imperfection. They said, the core paradox of spirituality is the haunting sense of incompleteness. For to be human is to be incomplete, yet yearn for completion. It's to be uncertain, yet long for certainty. It's to be imperfect, yet long for perfection. It's to be broken, yet crave for wholeness. But here's the real clincher of their quote. All these yearnings remain necessarily unsatisfied. Why? Because, according to them, we are imperfectly human, or better, because we are perfectly human, which is to say, humanly imperfect. It's a paradoxical statement, but it arrests our attention, right? It creates this inner tension within us. Here's another example from Scripture. This is uh, from 2 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, by Paul himself. He says, as unknown, yet we are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Well, how can that be? You know, it makes us think. It compels us to really ponder on what is being said. Here's one by Nowen himself, taken from In Memoriam, one of his books. Books. He said, there's so much darkness to be dispelled, so much deceit to be unmasked, and so many ambitions to be resolved. And then he goes on to say, I'm still waiting, yet already receiving, still hoping, yet already possessing, still wondering, yet already knowing. Doesn't that create a little bit of discomfort or dis-ease inside of us when we're like confronted with cleverly worded words like that? And therein lies, by the way, the power of paradox. The power of paradox lies in its savvy play on words. It's a figure of speech uh, that uh, relies heavily on a play of words. The second kind of tension that we find in Nowen's writings is called antinomy. Now, that's a little different than uh, paradox, but here's one definition I would submit to you about an antinomy. It's an apparent contradiction. I say apparent, I'd like to underline that it's a seeming contradiction between two principles that are equally tenable, which means Principles that at first glance, they contradict each other, but there are sufficient evidence, say even from Scripture, uh, to support both uh, principles. For example, here's a, uh, a, a very familiar antinomy that we all wrestle with. The, uh, the reality of God's sovereignty on one hand and human responsibility on the other. I'd like to direct your attention to a familiar passage in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses, verse 12b. We're told it's in the imperative, which means it requires 
choice on our part and an act of the will. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which of course implies a critical part of our human responsibility. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But the passage doesn't stop right there. The second part goes like this. For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That has direct reference, of course, to God's sovereignty. There in one passage, we see the tension between what? Human responsibility and God's sovereignty. We're supposed to work out our salvation knowing fully well, after all, that it's God who is really at work within us to fulfill what he calls us to do. Another kind of antinomy has to do with the very character of God. For example, God, as we know, is both a transcendent God as well as an immanent God, meaning, and I'm just going to walk through this real quickly because you all know this, when we say God is transcendent, God is really out of this world in the words of Karl Barth or Rudolf Otto. God is really wholly other. Yet at the same time, God is in this world. God can be said that he's be, he or she is beyond us and yet close to us. So there is a sense in which God is completely hidden and unknowable. God represents mystery. But God also represents, uh, sorry, God represents revelation in that God is accessible and knowable because of the incarnation. So there you have it. The very character of God uh, displays or represents an antinomy. The third one, which I would like for us to really focus uh, our attention to, is polarity. Because this is where most of uh, Nouwen's writings really uh, focus in on. And by definition, polarity simply is, has to do with two opposing or con contrasting principles or tendencies. Polar opposites, okay? And Nouwen himself embodied and exemplified spiritual polarities, not just in his writings, but all throughout his lived existence. I want to um, inform you that there are at least two kinds of polarities evident in Nouwen's writings. The first one is called conversional polarity. By conversion, there is a movement from here to there, which is vintage Henry Nouwen. It's called Henryism. He is very fond of, of uh, this kind of polarity. There is a movement from this to that. Like in reaching out, there is a movement from aloneness to, lo uh, to um, solitude, loneliness to solitude. The second movement from hostility to hospitality. And the third is from illusion to prayer. So now he's fond of crafting those polarities, like from the house of fear to the house of love. Okay? The second one is called cooperative polarity, which means the two polar opposites are made to cooperate with each other. It's not a movement from this to that, but rather it oscillates like back and forth. Here's an example of conversional polarity, like a movement from light to darkness or from darkness to light. And here's a, an example of cooperative polarity. 
Parker Palmer again has this to say. He says, actually, opposites need not negate each other. In fact, they cohere in mysterious unity at the very heart of reality. Deeper still, they need each other for health as my body needs to breathe in as well as breathe out. I think that's a perfect example of polarities. The polarity of exhaling, breathing out, and breathing in, inhaling. Now, in order to sustain life, you need to exhale and inhale, right? It oscillates back and forth, back and forth. And Nowen has a, a word which he borrowed from the psychologist James Hillman to, uh, to uh, uh, set the example of how to uh, make polar opposites befriend each other. It's the word befriending, okay? To make them cooperate together. And uh, consistent with Nowen's trilogy, I'd like to introduce you to an example, to examples of polarities. First, an inward polarity. Next is an outward type polarity. And lastly is an upward or Godward type polarities. And each of these polarities trigger in us what I would call psychological tensions for the inward polarity, ministerial tensions for the outward polarity because it has to do with reaching out in ministry to others. And lastly, the upward or Godward polarity triggers what I would call theological tensions. Let me give you um, some example of this, and this is what I would elaborate on and expound and expand on uh, this afternoon. So uh, if your appetite is wetter, then you can sit in and we can charge you. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, we will deal with these uh, polarities, these tensional polarities this afternoon with my class. For example, inward polarity, which is a, an interior movement to the self. Here are three examples of inward polarity. The polarity between true self and false self. Both coexist inside us. Right? That's why we struggle with the tensional reality, for example, of darkness and light. Our, you know, our light and sh our shadow side. Our dignity and our depravity. And our humanity and our divinity. Secondly, the polarity between self-owning and self-giving. Nowen believes firmly that you can only give away something that you first of all possess. So it's not antithetical to each other. Lastly, when we just discussed this in class this morning, is the polarity between, on one hand, our brokenness or woundedness and healing on the other hand. And now we firmly believe that healing and wholeness can only come about through a massive head-on confrontation with our flawed condition and our brokenness. Let me give you examples of uh, outward polarities which is ministerial in nature. For, for example, solitude and community. Sometimes we pit those two against each other. And now in himself, struggled with solitude, the rhythm of solitude and community. But uh, both are needed for us to live out our journey. Solitude on one hand and community on the other. Uh, I was quoting to my class, uh, the 
uh, familiar uh, words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German martyr whom uh, now quoted often from his classic work, uh, Life Together, Bonhoeffer says, the original quote is not gender inclusive, so he says, let him who is not in community beware of being alone, and let him who cannot be alone beware of being in community. You see the intertwining of solitude and community. Another um, example of an outward polarity is the uh, tension between compassion and confrontation. And again, now it underlines the need for exercising both. Some people are naturally compassionate and caring and loving, but not necessarily great truth tellers. On the other hand, some people are, you know, they have no qualms whatsoever telling the truth. They just don't know how to do it with grace and love. Whereas we're told in the Bible that Jesus, you know, grace and truth are rolled into one. I mean, it's like it's in his person, both of them, love and power. And I do believe that uh, now an exercise, what I would call care-fronting. He cared enough to confront. Compassion and confrontation are not dichotomized in his practice. The third example of an outward polarity has to do with Nouwen's ministry of presence, but at the same time his ministry of absence. We're all familiar with presence, and Nouwen is the greatest example of being present for people, to God, with himself. But now it introduces us to another concept, another ministry, which is probably alien to most of us. He says that sometimes we need to exercise the ministry of absence because the ailment that, uh, you know, most ministers succumb to is the, uh, the disease of over-availability. And he says sometimes we need to exercise creative withdrawal and, and really uh, not succumb to that illusion of indispensability that, you know, everything will crumble down to pieces when we're not there. He says sometimes we need to learn how to leave so that the spirit can have his unhindered work in the lives of people around us. The third kind of polarity is the Godward or upward polarity, and that constitutes, say for example, the polarity of suffering and glory. So it's not an either-or thing. It's not just a theology of the cross or a theology of glory, but both. In the words of uh, Paul himself, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection glory, but at the same time, he wants to participate and fellowship in the suffering of Christ. So suffering and glory the uh, polarity of present and future, which we just talked about again this morning, the fact that uh, really we're kind of like in between the present and the future because the future has already been inaugurated in the present time, but we still have to experience its uh, total fulfillment. I was, uh, I was quoting from uh, humorist Barbara Johnson this morning, who uh, very cleverly said, you know, we really are living out our Easter reality in a Good Friday world. We're kind of caught in between the cross and the resurrection. We're living out our new life in the context of an old age that's slowly 
fading out. That's where we get that whole theological concept of uh, the now and the not yet, or the already and the not yet. The polarity of life and death. Now and says, how is it that we prepare so elaborately about the birth of a person, but uh, we don't prepare as much when it comes to our own death? And now and says, in as much as we celebrate life, we should also celebrate and befriend death. See, now in himself is an embodiment of tension. I think he can be likened to like uh, John Wesley, who is really a cluster of paradoxes. He, uh, he's really a conundrum in many ways, uh, a person of contradiction who lived out all kinds of tensions in his own life. Um, somebody said this about Nowen. Henry Nowen taught best what he needed to learn most. And I'm sure we can sort of like identify with that. But um, here's the other thing that has been said about Nowen, which is I like. At his worst, Nowen was at his best. Even at his worst, Nowen is still, in a sense, ministering to uh, people. The paradox is, Nowen would never have become an inspirational spiritual writer if he had lived what he wrote. Therefore, his personal tragedy was also his gift to others. Do you realize that? The reason why we love Nowen is because he's imperfect and he's very relatable and he understands us because he doesn't have it all together. The mere fact that he's living a tensional life is something that we can readily connect with. Nowen asked a question that he himself answered. He said, can the tension be resolved in an integrated life? The thing is, Nowen was so committed to moving towards wholeness, greater wholeness and integration, and yet he asks himself, can the tension be resolved in an integrated life? And he admits, few have accomplished this wholeness. I certainly have not. That's rather consoling, honestly. He says, I certainly have not. Because you know what? Nowen believes there is a higher purpose in a tension-filled life. He believes that tensions are what create the friction that actually help us to move closer and closer toward God, bringing us in touch with a deeper longing for the fulfillment of a desire that lives beneath all desires that only God can satisfy. So there is a purpose for the tension-filled life. In fact, tensions can be reckoned rightly as transformative tensions. Transformative tensions. All that to say that Nowen has every reason to help us befriend tension, even though our default mode would be what? To run away from it and to have nothing to do whatsoever whenever we experience tension in our lives. Nowen gives us a little bit of a perspective that actually tension ought to be befriended for what it is and tension can be embraced. Why? Why? Again, because tension 
is, can be potentially life-changing for us. And tension can be used as raw materials for our continuing conversion and renewal. Thank you.